0: Hey, Mr. is and sorry, Mr. Paul. <laughs> Give me a little bit. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: forgot about that. There. I think, yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah. I would. Found out how much I really enjoyed party. Nuh-uh. Is that for True. real? It's a time like that didn't happen. What do I know? In the future, it's very bright, Michelle. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes. Before we get started, I just want to remind everybody that the Galentine's giveaway is still going on on Instagram and Facebook, so head over to Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes and tag your Galentine, Palentine, Valentine on the correct post to be entered to win a Jenna Cater sock talk wristlet. The giveaway ends on the 28th of February at the end of the month, so get over there and tag your Galentine, Palentine, Valentine. Also, don't forget... You can use code BGBS for 10% off your order at jenicator.com until March 17th. So get over there and check out all of the new collection, which is phenomenal. I can't wait to get my hands on some of that stuff. I reward myself with Genicator items, so <laughs> you guys should do the same. So get over there and use code BGBS on jenicator.com for 10% off anything on the website. So today's guest is someone who I have followed for a while now. She's gorgeous, confident, and just downright passionate about her business. Please welcome in Nikki Nourish of Player Partnerships. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Fine, and you? Good. Good. I'm getting things
0: done on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself?
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> I totally understand that. All right, you,
0: so you're in Ann Arbor? or is that just your phone your area code?
1: Yeah, no. Actually, I'm in North Carolina. I'm originally from yeah, okay. from Hell, Michigan. So, it's okay. in the Ann Arbor area. Um probably like I don't know. I think 20 minutes outside the city over there in the country in the country. Mm-hmm. So, have you been to Michigan? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah! Lots. I have tens of friends in Grand Rapids, and then one of my best friends lives in Kalamazoo. So, oh okay, I've spent. I had a ton of time in, in Michigan.
1: Awesome. So where
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll just get right into it then because I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know it is Saturday and there are totally tons <laughs> of things going on. But um, obviously <laughs> what we talked about, Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes talks to those who work behind the scene in the sporting industry. And I've been following right. you for quite some time. And I'm totally like, <laughs> this is a big time moment for me to be able to talk to you because I'm like, oh, I oh love my God. She's amazing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I'll let you start wherever you want to start, um, you sure. know, kick it off wherever, and I'll just ask questions along the way as to, you know, how you got to where you are today in your career, and you can put personal tidbits in there if you feel needed. Sure, sounds good. Um,
0: this is so fun. Thanks for yeah. asking me.
1: <laughs> oh, no problem.
0: <laughs> um, so when you said start wherever I want to, so do you usually do an intro or what, what do you like to start
1: with? Wherever you feel comfortable. Some people kick ah. it off, like their, how they grew up is important to their story. Some people kind of start mm-hmm. like, oh, this is, I, you know, I found I was passionate here in college, mm. like, you know, wherever you feel necessary. Sure. You were born uh, on okay. a so- long, it was a dark and stormy <laughs> night.
0: <laughs> Got it. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess let's start more so from the career perspective mostly just because that's where I realized that I really wanted to work in sports. So when I went to school, which is when I went to university, that was in 2004 to 2008. And at that time, social media and the things that I do now didn't even exist. So for the most part, the stuff that I focus on for my career is things that I had to learn along the way or that I mostly self-taught or took online courses and things like that. But um, in university, I did decide that I wanted to do something in sports, but I had no idea where to start or how to get in there. And especially hockey was what was attractive to me. So I figured, okay, I'll, I'll try and get a job with the AHL team in Toronto, um, which is the Toronto Marlies. And I ended up getting a part-time job there. And I did that while I went to school and that was a really really great experience I met a lot of awesome people um, and there I worked in game production which is basically everything that happens during the game that's not the players on the ice so you got definitely um, behind the scenes there there mm-hmm. was a lot that that went on and mm-hmm. got um, a real preview into how game operations functions and so that was an area that I thought was cool, but I think all along I knew that I wanted to try and do something more on the marketing side. Um, and so I ended up getting an interview with the NHL, which was really exciting. But when I went to that interview, I was essentially told that it was very difficult for women to work at the NHL. And so I guess for context, I do want to make sure that I'm clear that this was 10, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so,
1: <laughs> things have changed. So, luckily, there has,
0: yeah, things have changed. So, there has been some positive changes. I think there's a lot more room for change still. Um, but at the time, that's what I was basically faced with. So, you know, I definitely had goals for myself, and I didn't think that um, working somewhere that I wasn't wanted really fell in with those goals. And that's not to say that, you know, they didn't, didn't like me or I was treated poorly. I just thought that that information really. I guess, turned me away from wanting to put myself actively in an environment like that. Sure. And so uh, I decided to take my skills and go into the startup world, which was really the best move for me. And I think what's important about that part of the story is I, I know when I talk to people that want to get into sports and want to work in sports, their biggest thing is I think everyone thinks if they don't get in now or if they don't start there, then they're doomed, especially people coming out of college. And the reality is, for most people, especially women, your path to sports and in sports is definitely not linear. And for me, that rings true a million percent. So when I was with the Marlies, I was there for five years. And what I did while I was there that I think really benefited me in the long run is that I just started networking. If there were people that seemed important that were around, I wouldn't be shy to talk to them. I would you know, read people's badges and see what types of roles they had, whether that was in the organization. Um, and obviously, I didn't necessarily butt in where I wasn't allowed to be, but it was more just making myself known or introducing mm-hmm. myself to making myself available to help somebody so that I could have conversations with people and really make an impression. And then from there, I always made sure to add everyone to LinkedIn when that started becoming, that was probably um, around the time, I guess, 2010 when it started becoming a little bit more popular. And so I just started adding everyone to LinkedIn. And from there, um, I think for anyone that's on LinkedIn knows that it can snowball. If you have people in a certain industry, <laughs> yeah. then everyone else adds you and it just kind of goes like that. And so I got very good at if somebody was um, connecting to me from the hockey world, I just made sure to read their profile, make notice who they were and start a conversation. And my attention at, intention at that time wasn't to try and get a job with them. I mean, that would have been great, but I think I knew all along if I could just have a conversation and make an impression then some some way this will come back to me or there might be an opportunity to lean on them in the future. So when I went into the startup world, I really focused on my digital marketing side. Um, And that's really why I know people say that's my bread and butter, but um, I like to say that's my wine and (laughs) (laughs) cheese. As much as I love bread and butter, I definitely think most of my budget goes towards wine and cheese. (laughs) So um, Uh that's where I had a lot of success in terms of um, making strides in my career, getting some some big wins. And um, from the digital marketing side, I think I focus on everything. But over time, I realized the importance of niching down and really getting a certain skill set together. And I was really attracted to social media always for the social element and the social creature. Um, But also, I started to get very interested in data. And I thought it was so neat The analytics and the insights that could come back from social media and how that translated to marketing. And, And at the time, that was a big roadblock for a lot of people, a lot of businesses, and a lot of marketers. You know, if I'm active on social media, how is that translating into revenue or dollars for my business? And so I decided I was going to get very good at being able to figure that out. And I did. So that worked well for me in the startup world because I was able to scale businesses. Um, And I was able to become attractive as a marketer. And um, over time, I think I always knew that I wanted to go back into the sports world. Um, But again, by this time, you know, I'm getting married, I'm buying a house, there's things that just needed money for. (laughs) And so taking a leap and, and going all in on a business that I wasn't really sure about was a little bit not necessarily something that I could have done super easily. So for me in in 2018, what happened was I um, had an opportunity. So I I worked in the startup world and I worked for a company. And then in 2016, I left and I started my own agency. And so I was able to do mostly social media marketing um, for my own agency. And then in 2018, I got a client and, they were based out of Boston and they were a very big client. And I did really good work for them, which ultimately ended up to them uh, wanting to acquire me and me to join them in their company. And so I went ahead and did that. And that's really when I got my experience in the influencer marketing space and the affiliate marketing space and, and understanding that whole world. So it's interesting because now it's 2021. And I think a lot of people, think about the influencer space is relatively new, but the reality is the influencer space has been around for at least 10 years, if not more. It's only now that Instagram is so prevalent or you know, TikTok and doing these brand partnerships is so in our faces that we actually realize it. But if we go back many years, especially you know, even five years ago, that's when it really started to take off. Mm -hmm. And so in 2018 is when I got my first exposure to that space. And and I think it's just typical of me. And I think if there's anyone that has their own business or wants to start their own business, if you can do everything possible to learn as much as possible about the area that you're trying to work in, that's going to be a game changer. So for me, when I got put into this new space that I, I was in the social media marketing space, but it's a little bit different. So I got put into the influencer space and I thought, okay, you know, this is really uh, like an interesting thing because I'm marrying the social media marketing. And then I really love the usage of these platforms and user behavior and monetization. So that got me really excited and I just wanted to learn everything I could about it. And after about a year and nine months or so of working more closely with this company that were my clients and now I was I joined them as a director um, I started to feel definitely like it wasn't the place for me anymore. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But um, I was thinking, you know, how can I get back into hockey? That's just what I want to do. And luckily, by that time, I had you know enough wiggle room and I guess had space to be able to figure that out. So what I did is I went back to my contacts that I had made from my job at the Marley so many years ago. And I had, and I, I, seriously, I always kept up those contacts. So it's very interesting because I, throughout this time I would do like consulting with hockey businesses or hockey okay. leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did keep my name up. And I think that a lot of people in the hockey space probably don't even know the other things that I did <laughs> because <laughs> they just had known me as that person all along. Yeah. Um, and so when I went back to those contacts, I ended up saying, um, how can I help you? You know, what What do you need? What are your roadblocks as far as marketing? Because my goal was really just to figure out where I can fill a gap for somebody. And it didn't necessarily have to be in the influencer marketing space. It could have been in, in list building. It could have been in ads. Um, I was pretty open to what that was going to be. But it just so happened that the people that I was speaking to, most of them came back and said, we well, you know, I really, I don't understand social media and I don't understand influencer marketing. So for context, we have to think that the fact that hockey is very much filled with um, men and usually over 50 are the ones that <laughs> have some type of uh, role in terms of being an agent or an executive. And so when I'm asking them this question and they're coming back to me saying, I don't understand social media. That makes a lot of sense. So that worked out great for me because those are all areas that I am very strong in. And so I decided, perfect, then I will just take on that element and you can offload that part of your business to me. And that's basically how I got to the the spot that I'm in now and the stuff that I'm doing now, which is. Um, working with their NHL players to grow their social, to get better on social, um, and ultimately to create alignment with brands so that we can monetize it through these paid partnerships. Um, and that's really how that all happened. Is it was just kind of learning what I needed to learn, asking where I can be helpful and and then ultimately getting to this place where I found that I could be very valuable and making myself available, putting myself out there is a big part of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's sometimes for a lot of people, that's a hard thing too, you know, putting yourself out there and even the net, like that comes with networking, right? Like that is networking is putting yourself out there. Um, yeah. When, so going back a little ways, there. A lot of people that will listen are, are from America, <laughs> from America, yeah, no Canada, problem. what have you. I guess we're all the same. You're just our little hat. <laughs> so you called it, you called col- what we would call college university. Is is there, right. yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's not a huge difference in that, but is there, um, when you went to university or or college, let's call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, you go, did you go with the intention of of marketing or, like, being an agent?
0: No. So, at the time, when I went, it was very much just the classic, I finished high school, and so I'm going to go to college move. Um, and, you know, I was excited to go. I wanted to go. But we have to think about the fact that this was also – Um, 2004. So, I mean, everything that, that I touch now didn't exist then. Mm -hmm. Um, and so really when I went into college, the program that I took, it, it was a communications technology course, which is basically like as good as marrying, um, some type of technology or media, computer based media, um, and communications as we could get at the time. So, for, for example, one of the things that we studied really closely, I can remember from college, was Wikipedia, because that was the uh-huh. biggest thing on the Internet at the time. Uh-huh. So, okay. <laughs> so, essentially, what led me to that course was mostly just that I was very good on the tech side. We had a computer when I was really young at home, and I, I just took to it very easily. And so, I think I, I was always attracted to the tech side. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to go into computer science or programming or anything like that. I wasn't that far into it. It was more the, the, the options that the computer could be used for, that technology could be used for. So, like, I was definitely one of those people that was on ICQ and MSN and had <laughs> an email very young and things like that just because I really loved yes. how it could be used as a communication tool. And I knew that it was very innovative. I just had that instinct, um, even with having the little knowledge that I did. So the program that I went into, I I would, I always say this, I would love to go back and see what the program is now, because it's probably all the things that I do now. Um, (laughs) But what it was, that's what it was at the time. And then as far as the sports side of that, um, from a college perspective, so while I was in college and I had made that decision that I really would like to do something in sports I looked into postgraduate uh programs for sports or um we have and I, I'm sure you guys have happened too where you can go into these like private programs I'm sure they're more online courses now than they were at the time but you could for example go to like a, a program every Saturday that was and you know go sit through workshops that would help mm-hmm. you with your sports career and I did look into options for those, but from a financial perspective, it didn't make sense. And I think the, the further part to that was there was nothing that those could seem to offer me that I couldn't figure out for myself. So right. I think if I hadn't had the job at the Marleys because I was networking, I was able to learn through execution. Um, those were the things that were really helping me. And so when I looked at taking schooling for it, I felt like, it actually probably wasn't going to help me. And that's a great question because now when I talk to people that are trying to get into the sports industry, um, like for the other week on Clubhouse, last week actually, there was a guy that said one of his biggest regrets is that he didn't take something sports-based in college. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting because you don't have to. That's not a a requirement. In fact, a lot of people that take those programs don't even end up getting to be successful. My advice is definitely to try and get the jobs in the industry or the co-ops or the, um, the internships within the industry, or even just find somebody that can mentor you in the industry. That's really the way that you're going to end up getting to be part of the action, not really the schooling element.
1: Right. Exactly. I actually have noticed that because Um, I've I've known a couple of people that are much younger than me (laughs) who went to college for like a sports, you know, it's a sports driven degree, whether it's sports marketing or sports agent and like when they get out, I'm like, that's what they taught you in there? Oh, okay. Like Yeah. uh, You know, not not knocking it by any means, but it's it's very much different than probably the basics. Of a marketing class, or you know, just what what you went to school for communication technology. I mean, yeah, there's a lot you I learned there. I think the big thing you about you,
0: for sure. And I feel like there's the big thing about what you take in school. I, I mean, just having been out of it for so long at this point, and seeing and seeing all my friends all the people that I went to school with and what they're doing now, and my husband, his friends. I think when you're trying to decide what to do to school for school, just pick something that you like, mm-hmm. yeah. it, because that's going to make it be the easiest way for you to get through it. And at the end of the day, if you're trying to get, I mean, aside from, I'll say the sciences is different, and I wasn't in, in the sciences, is in the arts, so um, I'll remove myself from trying to speak about the sciences. <laughs> <Same>. But <laughs> as far as the arts go, just pick something that you like, because that's going to make it's the best experience for you and have you be the least stressed out. And um, so if you're taking a, a sport course because you like sports, that's great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Do that. Right. But if you like sports and you want to get a job in sports, so you actually really thrive in, in English in languages or you really thrive in computers, whatever that is, just take what you like and figure out the job element after. And I know that's not advice that parents really love to hear but that's the reality that's the reality because True. once you leave yeah. all that people care about is that you graduated that's mm-hmm. it that's mm-hmm. the only thing they care about Right. and then they care about your experience so go get that experience then if you can if you want to work in sports and you're taking an English degree but can get a part time job or if you have to take a certain um, a certain major that allows for more flexibility to be able to go out into the workforce and do a co-op or become an intern then that's going to get you way further than just taking a sports degree because you think that that's going to get you closer to it. Just take what you enjoy and take what you like. And I think with those sports programs, what's really great. For so my husband, he has a he has a, a sports management degree. And he actually works for the Toronto Maple Leafs, so it worked out for him where he was able to, yeah. to translate that. Yeah. But if you look at his entire graduating class, there's maybe like five of them that did. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about that is like he still refers back to things that he learned and stats that they learned or, or classes that they had. And I think that's so neat because he's so in love with it and he's so attached to it. Um, and I think that's, what's important is if you like it and you're attached to it, but also you have to think about, it's not going to be your degree. That's going to necessarily get you further in the workforce. That's a thousand percent going to be on, as you mentioned before, your networking, your ability to communicate.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the end all be all. <laughs> right. Fortunately, yeah. I think there's too many people are like, well, I have this degree and I'm like, cool. Awesome. I sat through many uh, classes Mm -hmm. of accounting and I can't tell you how to do my taxes. So that doesn't make me (laughs) an accountant. (laughs) Kudos to the accountant. That's a whole nother profession I could never tackle, (laughs) but (laughs) without a doubt, the networking is extremely important. So Mm Tell me, tell me a little bit more about, like, the startup world and, and how you um, kind of got there and, and what that was like.
0: Sure. So the startup world is really fun. It's definitely not for everyone. Um, it's a little bit different than, I would say, having a typical corporate job in the sense that most people that work in a startup are very entrepreneurial by spirit. And there's things like working at night or working on weekends that come with it that isn't for everyone. And that's totally fine. Um, for me, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, essentially what happened was I, um, was brought into a company and they work in the veterinary industry, actually, and they're amazing mm-hmm. company. Um, at the time they were a $6 million company, um, and so they had, you know, some budget and we were able to do some great things on the marketing side, but they didn't have so I, I guess to explain they were <coughs> excuse me, they were a, a veterinary management company. So in Canada we don't really have like a band field or we don't have um veterinary clinics that are necessarily chains or, or franchises. Um we have ever all of them are like the independent mom and pop shop type veterinary clinic. Okay. And the company that I joined, they were replicating a model that was designed in the UK, which was to buy veterinary clinics, keep all of their mom and pop shop branding, keep all the staff, keep all keep the doctors that own the practice there if they wanted to stay, um, but really just to take all the business operations inside of the head office. So basically eliminating running a business for the doctor. And it was really appealing because... Um, a lot of these veterinarians become vets to be doctors. They don't come veterinarians to become business owners, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of what they fall into. So so when I joined that company, um, they didn't have anyone doing marketing. It was basically a case of, we know that social media is important or is going to be important. We know that SEO is important. Uh, We know that Google AdWords are important, but we don't know anything about them. So we would like you to do that which was totally fine because yeah. I love all those things I'm good at all those things um, I definitely had to learn oh my gosh I went in there being like I know everything and good <laughs> lord I did not <laughs> I did not oh gosh um, learn about animals. so and um, oh I learned so much about animals so much about animals but it was more on even the tech side that I was I had to learn so much because Um, for when you know, I was familiar with SEO, but I had never implemented an SEO program or or created one for all of these local level businesses to have to implement. So that was, that was a huge learning curve, but I'm so grateful because the people that I worked with and worked for, we were all learning together. And so everyone, there was no, um, there was never a time where I was made to feel like I didn't know enough or like I needed to learn faster or anything like that. It was very much like me being able to learn and then take that back to the team with a plan. So ultimately we ended up growing that company from a $6 million company to a $60 million company in four years. So that was awesome. awesome. And I will say a lot of that has to do with acquisition and the business development side. That's not, specific to the marketing department, but what was great about the marketing program that I created was that it became a very attractive piece to these veterinarians that they were trying to acquire. So it did help um, the business development side because they were able to say like, you know, we have this girl Nikki and she implements SEO and she gets you to the first, you know, the top of Google and she helps your clinic get Google reviews and she teaches your team social media and things like that became a, a pretty attractive acquisition piece. Uh-huh. Um, so that was really fun. And I really loved being able to contribute. And while I was there, that's when I I started to notice that I would likely want to go off on, on my own. And a big part of that is I would go. So that <laughs> it's interesting, because I feel like now that I work in sports with hockey specifically, I feel like there's so many things about social media that people in hockey don't understand. And that's the same situation that I was in in the veterinary industry, uh-huh. is that, People just, you know, they're vets. They're not, they're, they're not social media people. So, right. um, or they weren't at the time. Um, so, you know, they didn't go to school for any of that. I, I think there's things that are implemented um, on the business side of veterinary school now for social media and, and online stuff. But at the time, there definitely wasn't. This is at the time where like Facebook pages were the rage. So that's how far back <laughs> we're was <so> <laughs> okay. Instagram wasn't even. Instagram wasn't even on our radar. I was just doing my best to get everyone in the clinic to like the, like the Facebook
1: pages. Um, you and make the a really good – Go Sorry. <laughs>
0: sorry. No, I was going to say the organic algorithm was still our friend at that point. So yeah. we've come yeah. really far.
1: That organic reach on Facebook is no longer <laughs> really a thing at all. But you make a good point about, like, the different professions and, like, their – you know, talking about, you know, niching down and things like when you're a, when you're going to be a doctor or a veterinarian or even an accountant, really, truly like that's not part social media and the marketing side of things or the digital side of things yeah. is not part of your schooling. Like you don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. That's a good and point I would say. Up.
0: Oh, and, and that is a that is a complete game changer. And what's so interesting about that is people in the digital space are so resistant to niching down. And I don't understand it because if you just niche down and you become the expert for that group of people, you will rock it out. You will make so much money and you'll become such a valuable asset if you just focus on one group of people. So if you're in the digital space and you focus on digital marketing for realtors, digital marketing for plumbers, digital marketing For contractors, digital marketing for accountants, digital marketing for veterinarians. If you pick one group of people that you really want to work with and just focus on that, like I, it's so interesting to me because when I have these conversations sometimes with digital agencies and they're like, we work with this client and this client, I think for the bigger ones, obviously that's sustainable. But if you're a freelancer or you have a team of only one or two people that you're trying to manage, and you have clients that are all over in different spaces. It doesn't serve them. And it also doesn't serve you to be trying to wear so many hats. Like just pick one group of people to service. Get really, really freaking awesome at it. And then everyone's going to come to you for that.
1: Right. Well, with that being said, I mean, you you obviously realize working in a startup that, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here. Well, not that you don't want to be here. Scratch that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that you wanted to to go out on your own and and kind of you know niche down and and that hockey was kind of your calling. So, what you know you mentioned um, you know networking to get clients and keeping up with things like that was yeah. What I'm gonna try to to not put too many questions on the plate here because I'm really good at being like that's here's 500 questions.
0: <laughs> that's okay. Give them what? to me and then I'll, I'll sort them out. <laughs> okay
1: all right good I'm glad we're on the same page with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I mean you started player partnerships so what right. le- you know obviously what led you back to hockey other than your love for it? Was it just the fact mm-hmm. that you knew that you could you know target those clients and that's where your passion was or was, did you see a hole that you needed to to fill? What led you back there and, and what led to the starting of player partnerships?
0: Yeah, I think it was both. I think all along, it's really interesting now when I think back because I, I, while I was on this like path where, while I was at the veterinary, um, well, I was at the veterinary company and then I left and went off on my own. When I first went off on my own, I actually did niche down and I did focus on the pet industry. And I worked with people in that space because what allowed me to actually go off on my own was I had gone and done a lot of speaking engagements and things like that. Um, I would go to these like pet conferences or veterinary conferences and I would get the opportunity to share information about digital marketing. And then I would have people come up to me after and be like you know can I hire you and so that made it very easy to move into a consultant role and yeah. ultimately you know try and, try and run my own agency so that's how I made the transition into my own startup that's and so cool. I had done that and then um, I mean it wasn't easy I, I, that makes it sound very easy which it was not <laughs> I went to talk um, to veterinarians and they my... hired me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't, it wasn't as smooth as I made that sound but it <laughs> that's the way I like to remember it now. Yes. Um, yes. But, uh, but yeah, so then from from there, when I did that, when I made that move, I think at that time, I had thought like, okay, the, the pet industry is the space for me. Um, but there was always something and I think my performance with my clients started to decline a little bit because I slowly was becoming less into it. And that's when I really thought like, okay, you can't be getting clients and you can't be Making it seem like you want to help these people when you really don't. And I think that that is a trap that a lot of people in the digital marketing space fall into as well, because you do get on this hamster wheel of like needing clients, needing revenue, or wanting clients, wanting revenue. Um, and so you just kind of say yes, yes, yes to all these things. But you ultimately, you, in some cases, you can lose what it is that you actually want to be doing. And that's really what happened to me because. Through, when I was going through that, I was thinking, okay, this is where I, I want to be. This is what I want to do. Um, but then I think in, the, in a big part of me really knew that I really wanted to be in the sports suit. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I got that inkling then. And then when it so happened that I joined this company, um, the Boston-based company, um, when I was there, I started to try and tell myself, okay maybe this is it you know maybe it wasn't the pet space. maybe it wasn't working 100% for myself maybe this type of situation is actually what I want and it was actually better and so then I started to convince myself like okay you know I wasn't into that anymore because it was this that I was looking for but at the same time the exact same thing there was a piece of me that knew that that wasn't the case like I think I knew Mm -hmm. no I, I really want to do something in sports and I'm going to need to figure that out at some point. And so, yeah, like my transition back into sports really just came from, I guess, getting to a little bit of burnout or a little bit of unhappiness mm-hmm. where I would contemplate, um, is this, is this where I want to be focusing my time or where do I want to be focusing my time? And I, I, uh, heard a really great quote from, There's an author named Mike McAuliffe, and he says that we always ask ourselves, um, if we had all the money in the world, what would we be doing uh, with our time? But we rarely ask ourselves, if we had no money in the world, what would we be doing with our time? And if you can answer the same thing to both, then that's when you found what it is that you really want to be doing, which I think is so interesting because... Yeah. That's yeah, good. isn't that? That's good. Isn't that, <laughs> Yeah. And so I think I basically forced myself to to try and imagine that, you know, if yeah. I had all the money, if I if I didn't have to work, what space would I still want to be engaging in and what space would I still work in just because. And if I really had to work my ass off, what space would I want that to be in? And that's how it kind of brought me back to to hockey and i i was like i just i want to do this i just do and so um that's when i started reaching back out and i'm very fortunate because um the agents that i got connected with to really start player partnerships and for them to really take a chance on me um are amazing and i'm grateful because in the hockey space it as I mentioned, you know, we're not, they're not necessarily and up on social media. And so, you know, these agents, they didn't need to reply to my messages. They didn't need to get on the phone with me. They didn't need to go, this is before COVID, but they didn't need to go out for dinner with me. And they did. Mm -hmm. And they let me prove to them that I know what I'm talking about. And I was able to build and, and gain the trust of them. And that really gave me the confidence to start their partnership. So, circling back to your question about how that how that happened it's really like I decided that this is what I really wanted I didn't know what it looked like either like I still don't every day (laughs) (laughs) every day I'm like what do I need to add or take out from this business because we we are in that startup spot right now and Uh we are in a spot that we have a lot of opportunities to pivot and I think you have to be no matter um, what business you're in, um, you have to be in a, in a spot to pivot, especially, you know, we've really learned that in the last year, of course. Right. Um, but yeah, that's essentially how it all came to be where I just, I, I made that decision that I do want it to be in hockey or, or in sports in general. And then I just had to figure out a way to, to match my skills with that. And I think if this was like what's great about it and what's, what's important about what I mentioned before about it not being linear is, had I not had all of this stuff in between, I never would be able to start player partnerships. Like everything that I did from leaving hockey to coming back to hockey was absolutely crucial for the success of what I'm doing now. And I would never have changed the way that that
1: path went. Sure. Absolutely. So looking at player partnerships, you've been in business since 2018, correct? That's
0: So we- this, particular company since 2019
1: the end 2000. of 2019 okay. So, okay. yeah so if I'm a hockey player what
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm looking at player partnerships what am I going to see or what right. what what would so, you you know because speaking from the professional fishing world which is totally in the same realm of hockey which is where I work right when you say they they're clueless about social or I don't want to say they're clueless. They're just, that's not their thing, right? They're hockey players or they're fishermen or they're football players, what have yep. you. Uh, and, you know, yep. if somebody's searching around in the hockey world and they come across cross-player partnerships, what would draw them to want to be your client? Because I want to be your client because I just want you to motivate me every day. But <laughs> if I'm a hockey player, why am I coming? Yeah. Sure. So, so I think, uh, a big
0: part of it is the brand partnership side. That is definitely what attracts guys mm-hmm. to begin with. And I say guys, I am going to be expanding to working with more women, especially awesome. women's hockey, but also just women in sports. Uh-huh. Um, cause I'm very, very passionate about that, but it's just not, it's just not the space that we started in. But, um, so I'm going to use the term guy, but it also applies to women. Mm-hmm. So if a, if a player or a guy is going to come to me, um, and usually, what happens is it's the brand partnership side that's mostly attractive. So, if you think about it as a traditional influencer marketing agency, where essentially an agency will take on talent or creators, as they're called, in this case, their athletes and clients and players, um, will take them on as under their wing. And essentially, what you're trying to do is facilitate those brand partnerships so that they can get paid to post on social media. So that is typically what is the first attraction piece for people to play our partnerships. But the thing about that is you need to be, you need to have certain things going on, on your social to even be marketable and you need to be in a certain place with your content to even be attractive to brands. So I think the thing that attracts people to the company is the brand partnerships. And they're like, great, somebody that can get me, paid social media deals. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. So then when they come to me and I look at their social, we basically have a come to Jesus where I'm like, listen, man, this is a bunch of Getty images and nobody's going to pay you for that. So it's, (laughs) it's very, um, that's how we essentially make the transition where I say, okay, I will help you get brand partnerships. But in order to do that, here is the nine things that you need to do to make yourself marketable. And then I really work with them on keeping their social at a certain level. So I think one of the thing that's really great for hockey players especially is they have amazing engagement. So in terms of athletes, they might not have the followings that certain basketball players or even college sports athletes mm. in the States have. Like right. the hockey players really don't have a lot of quote-unquote clout. Um as some of the other athletes in the states do, but what they do have, they do fall into that that micro influencer category for the most part. We definitely have some guys in the macro category, but not not the majority. Um, and they, but the thing is, they have amazing, amazing engagement rates. So, for example, in the influencer industry, if a brand is looking to partner with a creator, typically what they're asking for is a three percent engagement rate. Just that's that's the benchmark. Um, engagement that they typically want in order to move forward with somebody the players that come to me uh, they're like 15 percent, 20 percent engagement rate so they're highly valuable wow. from a social reach and, and impression yeah it's really really great but the problem is they're terrible at creating authentic um what's the word the authentic alignment between themselves and a brand. Mm -hmm. So what influencers or content creators are really good at is doing the subtle nuances to make themselves attracted to a brand. So small things you might notice in content, like if if a creator is doing something in their kitchen, they have a certain coffee brand behind them over their shoulder, or they have a certain like Brita filter, things like that where they'll do subtle product placement in their content So that over time in the future, they can have that alignment with the brand and ultimately create a partnership and hopefully get paid for that partnership with the guys that I work with. That's not something they're familiar with and not something that they're doing. So they need to lean on me essentially as their social media coach or their trainer to get them to a place where they are having that brand alignment and we are able to then go out and facilitate those partnerships. So, they're attracted to the company because of the brand partnership side. Then when they get in, I tell them, you're not in a good place for that. <laughs> and then we have to do all of the work to, to try and get them in a good place for that. Um, and that there are exceptions, obviously. Sure. There are times that brands are like, you know, his name and his um, stats are good enough. I don't really care what's on his profile. There are There are instances that happens with. But when we're looking at the league as a whole, um, or when we're looking at players as a whole, that's not the norm. That's that's not happening. At least not for paid partnerships. Mm-hmm. We will see a lot of like product seeding sure. um or product exchange, which is a whole thing that I don't necessarily believe in, mm-hmm. um and happens way too much in the in the hockey industry. But um, yeah, to answer your question, that's basically how we work with them. Um and then we also do things like help them set up their affiliate program. It even so I don't actually, and nobody on my team, we don't actually take over social media management. That's not something that I believe in. And I don't think that it benefits the, the player at all. Um, what I really try and focus on is teaching them and giving them the tools and the resources that they need to be able to execute this on their own, whether okay. it's them okay. being the one physically doing it, or if it's their wife or partner um, that's totally fine too, but it does need to come from the grassroots level as far as content goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll help them. We'll help them with that side of things. Um, but that's really how we, how we work. So it, it's even down to the, the point where players will text me and say, can you help me write a caption for this? Or um, what hashtag should I use for this and things like that. So there's that kind of coaching element where I'm mm-hmm. able to, to help them Um, so that that brand alignment is a lot more clear so that we can ultimately get them paid for those partnerships.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's really where it sounds so simple, but I feel like in, in that world, it's, you know, just like you said, or you've been saying this entire time, they just don't they don't know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the, those little key details of a caption or a hashtag or just the fact that they're doing it themselves so that they can learn how to do it along the way is super yeah. important. Super important.
0: Yeah, I I think what's interesting, too, so one of the things we run into in the hockey space and, I, and talking to agents in other sports, I don't think this is as uh, as big of a thing, particularly in let's say basketball or in football, maybe in baseball, it is a little bit more like this, but, um, with hockey, a lot of these guys are recruited when they're like 13 and 14. They're so young. And, um, so by the time they're 15, they're getting media training or PR training Where, what that is, is coaches or people of influence or people of power in their life coming in and telling them, Here is all the things not to say and all the things not to do. But there's nobody coming in and saying, Here's some things that you could really do to help your personal brand in the future. Reason being, those people that are giving those pieces of advice, they don't know anything (laughs) about the social media (laughs) side. So it's really interesting. So these guys have been taught. Um, and hockey's very interesting, like this, where um, there, it's just a very interesting, like old school, I guess, type of of place where it, like the professionalism has to be a certain standard, mm-hmm. even to the point like you know everyone must wear a suit to the game. That's a literal dress code within within okay. hockey that you don't necessarily see in other sports. Right. Um, And so there is certain elements of professionalism in the sport of hockey that don't doesn't exist in in other sports, or at least not to this extent. And so one of those things, one of the things that that has created is this situation where players are, are afraid, you know, they and it's not that they're like scared, but they're just worried or nervous about if I put out a piece of content or if I share how will that be perceived? Right. And so they're more afraid of saying the wrong thing. So they don't say anything at all. And that's mm-hmm. how we end up in a situation where their seed is just a bunch of Getty images because they don't know what to put out there from their personal lives and what not to put out there typically. Right. Been and told so, yeah, exactly. And so there, that is changing. I will say, I yeah. think when I look at the guys that I work with, I see three groups. I see, the older group of guys who didn't necessarily, they'd be like, you know, my age or my group of people that we didn't grow up with social media. Um, and it didn't really become part of our lives until we were in our 20s. That's that's reality. Um, and so for them, you know, they were already in the league. They were already playing when when social media started. So they didn't necessarily hop on the bandwagon. And so if they didn't then, they're not going to work backwards at least not to a huge extent. Some of them will, but most people won't. Right. And then there's the middle group of guys that social media came about when they were in their, you know, mid to late teens. They kinda of got on it. But so much has happened in the last in the last, you know, five years that they are, you know, like most people don't use Facebook, but they might be active on Instagram but not necessarily all about it. And then there's the younger group of guys that you know they they grew up with social media they've never known um not having social media or at least not to the way that we do and they are keen to do more with their social platforms and some of them are even willing to do things like get on tiktok which is a huge um a huge jump for them however there is uh some roadblocks there for them because for the younger guys because of the hierarchy in the dressing room um, not wanting to be made fun of not wanting to be made to seem like they don't know their place in the league or their status as a Um and so the personal branding side gets dulled for a little bit because they don't feel like they're in a place professionally to be able to put themselves out there on social media in the way that you need to in order to be valuable from a marketability perspective and so that's really what we're dealing with when I'm looking at these three groups of players. Yeah. And so, so the, the not saying anything or not wanting to be active actually extends even further because as I mentioned, a lot of people um, in power or in executive roles for these, for these teams aren't necessarily very up and up on social media. And so it'll even go to the extent, let's say a player is having a, a bad game or um, is not, not on a roll, having having a, a bad streak. Um, the GM might go on their social media and see, you know, what are they up to, and then that could trickle down, and they could, you know, tell the coach, and the coach could bring them in and say, you know, you shouldn't be posting on Instagram about playing playing video games when you haven't scored in three games. Like that's that's that's, wow. a, re- that's a real thing that happens. Yeah, that even agents. Yeah, and so it does create, you know, obviously for me in the business that I have, yeah, that's yeah. not good. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so, for sure. I didn't realize there were so, so many different layers of hockey, <laughs> like yeah, and, and,
0: and you know what? In talking to, um, talking to especially with NIL coming out, um, and talking to a lot of people at the college level, that's quite similar. Okay. where coaches and and. Uh, and I guess, I don't know, the powers that be in the college, um, space in, in the U.S., um, that happens a lot as well, where, you know, I, I know coaches and, and people from, um, the schools are obviously, uh, monitoring their student athlete social media no matter what, but I have heard similar feedback that, yeah, if you're going through a, if you're going through a, a not so great playing spell, um, it's not unusual for you to get called out on your social media activity. And That's so <laughs> um yeah it's, it's very interesting and so yeah. what I've tried to do because of that like I'm aware that this is a thing I don't want it to be an issue I don't want my players to be like mentally battling whether or not mm-hmm. they should post mm-hmm. um so what I've tried to do is really reach out to the teams and figure out what and create a relationship with each team as much as I can and really get the inside scoop of you know, what kind of executives they have and if this is a problem. So, um, for example, the Chicago Blackhawks, they have a really, really progressive president. He came from, from basketball and he really believes in players having their personal brand and he's seen how that benefits a team. And so he, that, that organization is not necessarily one that's going to come down on players for being active on social media. Um, and same with Dallas, you know, they they need the players to have their personal brands in order to to support the team because they're, they're playing hockey in Texas. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. something that they, they really, they need and they support, but then there's other organizations that I just won't mention, but there's other organizations that feel opposite of that. And, um, it, it's just really about knowing what's organizations those ones are and supporting my players the best I can um in those moments and it even trickles down to things like um let's say one of my players gets injured and so they're going to go dark on social media for a period of time because that's just the thing to do otherwise you're going to get all of your fans, you know, judging, mm. is he injured, is he not injured? And it, it even goes so far as like being in, impacting sports betting, right? So let's sure. say a player is, is marked as injured and then they post something on social media, which might show them not as injured. Um, and then people that have fantasy drafts or fantasy pools or people that are making decisions on who to vote for that night like there's a lot of things that it, it can impact and obviously we can't control we can't influence all those things um but for me as their consultant or for my team it's really about us being able to to pick and choose what those things are and advise on them accordingly
1: oh absolutely a hundred percent and I just have to say I I love listening to your passion for this and your love of hockey. So how, how did you learn, like, how did you grow to love hockey? Did I mean, it's kind of stereotypical in a sense that, like, Canadians love hockey. So did you grow up yes. with hockey? Did you play yourself? Yeah.
0: So you know it's hilarious. Like I can't even skate backwards. <laughs> um, so I definitely did not play. I don't. My sister. I just have a sister. I don't have any brothers. Okay. Uh, my dad isn't even isn't even really a big hockey fan. So I think really what it was. Um, and this is like a little bit silly, but my when I was little, um, my a lot of my closer friends were were boys. Um, I always had a lot of girlfriends too, but. I think I just, I love to snowboard. I like to do a lot of stuff outside. And I like, I mean, I like boys. I wanted to be around them. That's the reality. So, um, (laughs) so when I was little, I, I started, um, going to my friend's hockey games and I just really liked it. I just really like they, they would have their hockey game. Their parents would pick me up on the way. I would go to the freezing cold, small town. um, arena and just watch my, I'd be by myself or with their mom and dad. Like it was, it was really funny thinking back on it now. Um, and I would just go and I watch my friends cause that was fun and I wanted to support them and I, and I liked it. So I really, I, I never played. Um, and, and then my, my older sister, um, her boyfriend at the time was really into hockey. And so we just started watching all together. And then I started actually, so I live in, in Toronto, but Outside Toronto, and uh, I was actually a Red Wings fan growing oh, up nice. um, right. because <laughs> I, I started to um, really love CBY, and so yeah. that is how I, uh, I really got into hockey. But I think what was interesting about my attraction to the Red Wings is that's actually how I got attracted to the business of hockey because with Babcock and their development, and you know, all the success that they had um, you know, 10 years ago. I I was so attracted to like, how do they make this work in the way that they do? And that's where I really got into like thinking about, okay, there's a whole other side to the sport that I just don't know anything about. And I want to know everything about it. (laughs) Um, And, and that's also one of the reasons why when I went to go get a job um, in the space, I didn't actually even go to the Leafs. I went to the Marlies because, I was looking at that development side and I was looking at, um, that, that business side and I thought that I would have a better chance of getting the insider scoop on that at the lower sure. uh, league level, yeah. um, which I did. I really, really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how that happened. I think I just, I just liked watching and then, and then I got attracted to the business side. Um, and then it just become a combination. And then, like I said, my husband, he, works for the least so for him, it really worked out. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the wife that, you know, wants to watch as much hockey as he does or isn't going to complain if hockey's on, so That's especially right. not if one of my clients is playing. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, that, so now we're just like a massive, um, I'm sitting in my basement as we're recording this and I'm just looking around, and I'm like, yeah, there's, you know, there's, we have a few hockey items. <laughs> here. So, just a few things. The only, the, the only decor in our house. Um That's so awesome. yeah. Uh, yeah. I think what's really interesting too, um, and now that I'm in the space and even growing up in Canada and to your point, you know, everyone loves hockey. Um <laughs> and we have a lot of if you if you go on TikTok or any social media, you can see there's a lot of um like spoofs on what a, a typical hockey player is like and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but what's so interesting is when I'm working with these guys They are so smart. So like so many of them have really great educations or do a lot of reading and learning on their own time um, and have such variances in terms of interest. I mean, there's the classic things I would say most of them love golf um, or love fishing. You know, fishing's a big one or hunting. A lot of them are into that as well. Outdoor stuff. But they also, you know, there's some of them that are really into venture capitalism. There's some that are really into um, like environmental issues. There's some that are really into other sports that you don't even know about or get to get to see them, them doing. There's some that are super into gaming. And it's just so interesting because there's no stereotypes they're all so individual and so different Mm -hmm. um and while there are similarities and crossovers like in any group of, of any profession but um that's been the most the greatest part for me is getting to learn about them each individually and figure out how to navigate the world of social for them based on those individual qualities
1: yeah they're outside hobbies
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Interest, hobbies. I mean, and speaking of outside of hockey, do you have any, you know, hobbies and interests (laughs) that you, I mean, you're, I, I, from listening to you, you're super passionate about hockey. And so, and I feel like you're kind of like me in the sense of like, what is a hobby? (laughs) Yeah. Work is a hobby (laughs) because, you know, work hard, play hard, but.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a great question. I feel like no one ever asked me that. Oh, (laughs) Really? <laughs> well more so more so just because I, I think there's like a few things that stand out as like the things that i that i enjoy i mean i it's silly but i do i am trying to learn more about like circuitry and how to put them oh. together but like for me if you're asking what a hobby is i that's something that i like learn about <laughs> in the background because there's actually like elements to it rather than just throwing things on a on a on a board. This was kind of a, a random one, but I, I am, yeah, I, I do like um, that side of thing. I love to cook. I'm a, I love to awesome. cook. So that's probably where that comes from as well. Like the yeah. food space, my parents both are big into cooking and that's just something that I, I got from them and it really relaxes me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, oh, yeah. yeah, I definitely love the, I love cooking. Um, and really, I think just like the classic things I'm a social person um, so if it's up to me, I would have people over all the time, or I'd be going to someone's house all the time. Which obviously we're not doing now. Um, but and then traveling. Like the, I, before okay. COVID, I would be, um, I would be on a plane at least once a month, if not twice. Um, going, I'd mostly be in the states, but um, yeah, I've been to Europe, I've been to Africa, I've been wow. to the Caribbean, and, and you know all that kind of stuff. So I would absolutely you know love to get back to that when the time is right but yeah. that's definitely an area and if i'm not if, if i'm going somewhere then i get very invested like the trip planning element, i love that side of it so i would say that's perhaps a hobby or like events i love to like plan when people are coming over and creating you know what am i gonna what are we gonna serve and things like that i'm, I'm into the hosting element and, and the planning side of Of things so I guess that's not really a hobby but it's more just an area of interest for me
1: I think which I think is
0: also qualities of of just generally being a leader
1: too Yes, very true I'm all about that too I'm like how can I entertain when entertainment time comes like my niece celebrated our first birthday and we pulled out all the stops we're like glitter oh Oh, it's just gonna be us because we can't have people over it doesn't matter do it
0: all (laughs) yeah that's amazing i love that yeah and i think like because of the covid times that we're living in um like i it's it's different everywhere i know but in Mm -hmm. where i live in ontario we've been um on pretty strict lockdown since this time last year so we actually only had a period of time between july and august that you were really allowed to to be around anybody so um, and at that point it was open up to like groups of 20 people outdoors. Um, so we really haven't, like, we're not allowed to travel right now. Um, we're not like grocery stores are open, but we're not really allowed to be like restaurants aren't none of that stuff. So oh, I haven't boy. been to um, those places in a really long time, but yeah, so that's, so I've had to dig deep, obviously, yes. <laughs> because I'm not hosting <laughs> and I'm not, um, even seeing my family or anything like that. So mm. I think in this last year, I've really just learned to embrace the, the small things that I can do to to occupy my time outside of work. So mm-hmm. I've always really been into the personal development space. I think anyone that runs their own business, that's just a, a piece of you as well personal and professional development. So I've definitely gotten back into reading or um, mm-hmm. I've always, my dog and I have, we walk 5K or about 5K every day and we've been doing that for like 10 years. Awesome. Um, and so usually we, i'm fortunate where i live we have a lot of trails so like Uh hiking for example is something that i love and i just throw my my earbuds in with with a audible or a great podcast Uh and i um i just you know take a break and try and and try and focus on something that's not work but it's so interesting because i think if you work for yourself um, or if you work in a startup environment you I was thinking about this the other day. When you want to work for yourself, or when you want to work in a startup environment, usually one of the things you think about before you go and do that is one of the reasons I want to do that is because I want time freedom. But then, <laughs> but then you do it, and yep. then you realize that you 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 have you have control over your schedule, which is great. Yes. But having actual time freedom is not really what you have because <laughs> you are just constantly thinking mm-hmm. and. And it's not good. Like I, I don't, I need to get better at it for sure because I yeah. find myself in situations where if, so let's think of a specific example. So let's say I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on with one of these hikes with my dog. My first instinct is how can I maximize this time in a way that's gonna benefit me professionally? And then that's when I turn to like an audible or a podcast and it's very rare for me to just put on music and walk because to me in my brain, there's gonna be an element of guilt that I just put on music and listen to music when I could have used that hour to listen to something that would benefit me. And so it's, it's very, very difficult to get yourself to a place where it's okay to just be and just chill. And I don't have kids yet. And I think when I have kids, that's going to be the wake-up call for me that's going to make me turn off and decide what those boundaries are. I think I'm taking advantage of the fact that I haven't had to make those decisions yet. Um, but that's an, that's an area I really, really struggle in.
1: Oh, you are preaching to the choir on that. <laughs> From the minute <laughs> I wake up in the morning to the time that I go to bed, that is everything revolves back to how can yeah, I do better? Exactly. What did I, you know? oh this didn't go the way I want it to I mean I do the same thing I get up and I walk every morning or I go for a run and I'm like oh what podcast am I going to listen to this morning that's going to help me do this better or I mean yeah I went on a walk last weekend or the weekend before and it snowed here so I'm like I'm just gonna go out and enjoy the cold weather and I went out without airpods and it was like I think I panicked <laughs> like, like, that is so
0: funny that you say that that is so funny So last week actually I had I was on my phone for so long that my phone was it was dead it wouldn't even have lasted if I took it on my walk with me so I was like you know what we're just gonna do that I had so much anxiety yes.
1: yeah I usually go about three and, miles like like you said and I I think I made it like yeah. a mile and a half and I was like I'm done <laughs> I'm
0: done That is so funny. And well, part of it was because I live in a little bit of a rural area. And so part of me was like, if we get hit by a car Uh, or something happens, then I don't have any means of communication, which isn't great. But I think I think that was the excuse I was telling myself for the anxiety when the real anxiety was like, this is so weird to not be like listening to something or engaging with something. Um, Which I don't think is good. I don't think that's healthy at all.
1: (laughs) Agreed. 100% agreed. When you said that, like, you know, there's no boundaries and you're trying to do better. And, you know, you think, well, I'm sure when you have kids, that'll definitely be the determining factor there. Because I agree. I say the same things because, like, all my friends are having kids right now and they have no time for anything. And I was like, that's going to be when I put my phone out. Yeah. That'll be my time. And and I hope that's the case until then yeah just open it up
0: <laughs> yeah and I think I'm really lucky for the husband that I have because I don't know that everyone you know when he gets he's still going into the office right now So when he gets home from work um I'm not available like sure. I'm either still on calls mm-hmm. or I'm going to be sitting on my computer we'll eat dinner and I'll go right back to my mm-hmm. work and we'll, we'll be in the same room but I'm like I'm doing things and I'm available for conversation. I mean, we just put on hockey now that hockey's back. (laughs) So (laughs) I know he's not complaining about that, but I think like there are some people that, that, that wouldn't be the dynamic they would be able to have in their household. And um, I don't even know that I like that. It's the dynamic that we have in ours. I I do want it to be different in time. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but yeah, I think I'm unfortunate for that for now, especially with a, with starting the company, a new company now, because you, you do need to have that um, time availability to go towards it. But it's just something that I, I think about often. And I, and I always think like, when will this change? Cause I tell myself that it's going to, but I have to be the one to make it change. True, right. <laughs> it's not just randomly going to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it comes with time too. And I think, um, I'm, the unfortunate fortunate thing about the the time that we're living in is, it's kind of like the the worst excuse to use. But like I I keep telling myself and have been telling myself since March, like, well, I mean, if I'm gonna, what else am I gonna do? Right? Like, I yes. can I can go for a walk. Oh, I already did that. Oh, I can do this. I already did that. Well. I might as well work because what else is there yeah. to do? And then you wake up and you work and yeah. then you go to bed and you wake up and you work. Like, I guess it's, it's not the greatest, like you said, cause I told what you just said, like, like I said, preaching to the choir, hundred percent agree. I don't like yeah. that this is the lifestyle that I have for myself, but at the same time, like I, like I said, I, what better time <laughs> to be stuck at home and yeah. forced to work? I guess like, it no, could be worse. You're, you're totally, I mean, totally
0: right. Yeah. You can yeah. Come and home. I think that's the nature of people that want to do this type of work as well. Because if we wanted to have a nine to five or if we wanted to have a, a job where we could log off Slack at, at five or six and no one talked to us till the next day, if that's what we wanted, then we would do that. Right. But that's not that's not the life we, we chose. And so you have to take the, the nuances of that and um you know maybe in future you would you decide that you want to go back i i don't know how you would do that but <laughs> i think for some people i think some people that decision is ultimately made for them too based on on how life lives change over mm-hmm. time right um but it's just so interesting because I judge myself for it, and then I'm also like, but I chose this. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. It's kind of like
0: so. it's the
1: best of both – it's the worst of both worlds or whatever the saying is. I, I'll I'll figure out the saying. It's the, the – <laughs> there's not a happy medium to this that we've found yet. Yeah. Let's leave it there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate your time so much. I won't keep you any longer because I know it is Saturday, and. We want to enjoy things. But before I let you go, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to somebody looking to get into the hockey world or even just digital marketing or social media?
0: Oh, wow. Um, So I think we touched on it here, but I think that if you really want to, so two things. Thing number one is, if you really want it, it it will happen and I know people hate hearing that because that's not an actionable piece of advice Mm -hmm. but all that I'm trying to say with that is just hang on to the idea that it's going to happen and when I explain my story I went through how I did do this I had this nonlinear path and now I'm back there doing it and that is the same story that so many people in the sports space have so I do want to just tell people that if it is something you really want you will figure it out It's not going to be immediate likely and it's not going to be easy, but it will happen if you hang on to that idea that it will happen. So that's thing number one. And then thing number two is more around the niching down part and just getting very good at what you do. So I think in the social media or the digital marketing space, we try to know all of the things. We try to Know SEO. We try to know SEM. We try to know social media. We try to know all of the variances that a client might need from a digital marketing perspective. And I think picking the lane that you're going to rock it out in is so valuable. So if you get excellent and become a complete master at SEO and analytics, then then just do that, and then pick a niche to do that with, because that's going to accelerate. Your opportunities so much more than if you're trying to be everything for everybody or do everything for everyone. And so, when I look at my story, you know, getting very excellent at the media buying side and and perfecting the ad process and understanding social media on a data level, those were the things that made me a very attractive commodity. Being a digital marketer doesn't make me attractive. Being an expert in those particular areas makes me very attractive. So, I think whatever you can do to position yourself in very specific lanes is going to be the thing that helps you win. And, and an extension of that is not only become an, a master of those areas, but get amazing at one, owning that you're a master of those areas, but two, being able to articulate that you're a master of those areas. So, when you're having conversations with people, make sure it's very clear what you're good at and why you're so good at it. Because that's one of the things that I see people struggle with where they don't want to come off as cocky or they don't want, especially women, you know, we don't want to come across as know-it-alls. And so we tend to downplay our skills. Never, ever do that. Upplay your skills to the fullest extent. And I don't care who you're talking to. You are the master at what you do. And as long as you can have that confidence whether you actually genuinely feel that or not because you're probably not going to if you can just make it seem like that then you're going to rock it out and that's where you're going to get a lot of success in in the sports space and the digital marketing space or social media space or something of those combined if that's what you really want to do
1: that's amazing advice and i love that you that you said pick a lane because that's what my mom just says that about staying in your own lane, not butting into yeah, other people's business. Totally. <laughs> stay totally, in your own lane, totally. which is totally true yeah. on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Stay in your own lane. Focus on you. It's okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well,
0: and and the, and recognize that not everything can be in your lane. Like I think when we hear "stay in our lane," we're like, okay, we'll stay in our lane with all of these things and it's like no no your lane is your thing right.
1: yes <laughs> yes this is about you <laughs> all the things that are in there
0: <laughs> yes
1: awesome well, i love
0: that this has been so fun yes, thank you so much for yes. having me i really appreciate it
1: i i appreciate you thank you so so much for sharing and taking time out of your saturday morning to chat with us and of i'll course. be in touch with you very soon awesome Enjoy your Saturday. You too. Have a good one. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye bye. Friends, how amazing is she? Seriously, her passion for hockey and her business is insanely contagious. And I think I need to hire her to be my motivational coach. What do you guys think? <laughs> Thank you, Nikki, for joining us, and I appreciate you all tuning in and listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and go give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook, Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes. You can find all episodes on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Later, Gators.